Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Listen in as Joe recounts a story with Doug of Calvary Commission. God will provide where He has called us. That's the message. Joe Foss discovered this truth when he took a step of faith towards the vision God had given him. What seemed impossible at first is now bearing great fruit. You'll be inspired to step out in your faith, too. After the episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit awardinseasonpodcast.org. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. It's a real pleasure today to have Joe Foss, the founder of Calvary Commission. Wow, I've known you, Joe, for close to 40 years, I think, or at least when I first got radically touched by God, one of the first things that the Lord did in my heart was through ministries like Calvary Commission and Last Days Ministries, and of course, Teen Challenge and Leonard Ravenhill. There's so many mutual friends that we all have, but really you and Charlotte and Calvary Commission have had a huge impact in my early growth of the ministry, as well as the development of our friendship over these decades. I've been in ministry 40 years you, though, have long before this, but you pioneered Calvary Commission 45 years ago. Didn't you just celebrate the 45 years of Calvary Commission? July the 11th, 1977. Wow. Uh, we began. Prior to that, seven and a half years as director of Teen Challenge, Tyler, Texas. We recently just had Gary Wilkerson with us on one of my Transforming Leadership Zoom calls and podcasts. So we were kind of reminiscing, too, about all the relationships there in East Texas there at Lindale, Garden Valley, Tyler, that whole area, and just how all of your ministries, I felt like I found my tribe when I was a young believer. And and uh, thank you so much for your investment in not just my life, but so many lives around the world. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to Lindale, Texas and Tyler area? And, and how did you connect with David Wilkerson there? Very interesting story uh, would actually be to answer that first question. Uh, was born in Horton, Texas. My father was a pastor, moved around Henderson. I remember that. And then uh, from like an area called Red Oak Flat, uh, he got a vision to plant a church in Tyler. I came here in the second grade and on up through all the the colleges that we have here. Uh, That was how I got into this area. Actually, I was a businessman and I'm still a very busy man, but um, (laughs) God's business. (laughs) But I was in the uh, convenience store and restaurant business, and I was able to find out about a missionary thing called short-term missions, Operation Sombrero. And we went to San Luis Potosí, Mexico for three weeks. During that time, I was not wanting to go back. I enjoyed myself so much. I said, I'll sell the stores. I'll come help this missionary. Uh, On the morning prayer meeting prior to us leaving, I was at the side door and I said, God, I want to go sell the stores and come and help this missionary. All of a sudden I looked up and the clouds began to roll and move. And uh, I don't know if it was a glory cloud or whatever it was, or just a coincidence. But then I felt that inner voice say, not here and not now. Your hometown is full of troubled teenagers. Go and help them. I knew nothing at all about that. Had a young man stay in the same room I was in. He said, well, in Austin, we have a, a teen challenge. And I said, really? He said, yeah, uh, you don't have to have a home, a shelter. Said that you have a coffee house. I said, what is a coffee house? And so he said, come to Austin and we'll show you. So as time went on, I got back and talked to my pastor. I said, let's go to Austin. 
and we went in and I'd never seen anything like it before. Gaslight club or something. The noise was terrific and and the lights were flashing and you know this sheltered guy I'd never had seen anything like that before. But I had not been on the scenic route. I'd been on the bypass. I came back and I said we can do that. Found a building uh, that had a you know, little high school pharmacy and we started out Friday and Saturday nights. And I discovered a whole new world that I didn't ever know existed. And that was it for seven and a half years. During that time, someone told me that David Wilkerson was going to move to Lindale. And I said, oh, that's just a rumor. He wouldn't do that. And sure enough, there was a place out there that they had started at and put some mobile homes on. And so we got connected and I was already with Teen Challenge. He wanted to see the, the center. And so we began to take a tour and then he said his mother, Mom Wilkerson, we called her, wanted to come in and help at the coffee house. So we did that. And then, as the story goes on, one of our young men that we'd reached off the streets came to me and said, Joe, I've got a court period in the morning. He said, it's a little marijuana charge. I'm sure I'll get probation. Can you come? I said, yeah, I'll come. I, I'd never been to court before. I didn't know anything about the process. And so I sat there and watched him get 10 years without even a defense attorney saying, come up to the stand, Joe Fox. Like I said, we got a 24-hour supervision. He's clean from drugs. He's doing great with us. I didn't get a chance to do that. Next thing I know, they were handcuffing Bobby and he was going off, went back with bad news to the center that day that Bobby was not coming home. Mm. That was sure bad until we had this letter I had a phone call first that he was in jail up there and he was having Bible studies in the jail. Then we had a letter from him that he was at this Coalfield prison just opened over there, 1,400 inmates, and that uh, that he, he was wanting to know how I could get there. I, I, I said, uh, there's not a way that I could get there. I actually had to call the highway patrol, state troopers now, to find out where is this place. I went over there. And for two hours, I sat there and watched, as long as talking to Bobby, watched all of these people coming in, families, uh, mothers crying, children crying, wives leaving, crying, inmates going back to their cells. And my heart was so touched. And I had no idea what to do, what the protocol was in the political prison system. I just burst to the warden's office. I said, warden, I've got to help these men. He said, preacher. Don't worry about that. The state pays, it pays a preacher to do that junk. And that could have been the end of it. But a major in the corner said, preacher, help them when they get out. And that was what happened all the way back. Holy Spirit gave those words, help them when they get out. We didn't know what we were doing. At that time, it was against the law for parolees to live together. But God works all those things out. I went to see Brother Dave Wilkerson and he listened to me and he said, okay, keep it short. Don't go too fast. Make it slow. And they began to bless us and pray for us and say, go do it. And I think your first location was a rental property, right? And you took in 12 men just out of prison. That's right. We took in those people and my mother-in-law was there to cook for them. And that rental property was a golf course that was on its way down. Now it's up and new golf courses, of course, beside it. But at that time, they had some uh, condos that were there that were for rent. We rented that for $300 a month. You mentioned a couple of things. I brought back a lot of memories from the 70s and 80s of Christian coffee houses. Yes. After the Jesus movement, of course, they began to pop up in different places. And 
there really was kind of an out of court ministry to draw people in and to have outlets for Christian music and performing arts and so on. That had a season, as you said, when we were talking earlier, that the message never changes, but the methods maybe change a little bit. We adjust to that, but the message never changes. People talk about living by faith today, but I know that in the early days for me, I know that living by faith was a whole lot different meaning than it means today. And for you, I know you and your wife and so many of our friends, when you stepped out in faith, it was a risk. It cost a lot. And so you and your wife, Charlotte, actually sold your home. So you could actually go and and do something to help these coming out of prison and so on and the things that you were doing. And just within a few minutes after you sold your home or put it up on the market, someone gave you a a farm, correct? You got the story right. (laughs) Yes, I just continued to live that out that we just stepped out and we knew that was the next thing to do. And 20 minutes probably after I signed the contract to sell that home, I was back at that rental property and there was a lady there and she said, I need to see you. And I thought she had a son in trouble or something. And I went inside. She said, I know who you are and I know what you're doing. I've met some of your men. And I was praying this morning and God spoke to me and said, go find Joe Foss and offer that farm to him. I couldn't believe it. She said, I said, I'll meet you Wednesday and we'll look at it. She said, good. And she said, so let me know if you want it. Of course we want it. I couldn't wait. I knew where it was because of the, I found it on Monday afternoon. And I drove down this property the first time. And all I could say is, God loves these prison inmates. People said, there's an old hotel you might could get. There's a school that's closed you might could get. But God said, I've got something beautiful to show them I love. So from... A place that was farmland and cattle. And and now is that the same property I've been to now? That yes. Incredible facilities you have there now. Right. Yeah. It, all, uh, it was just pastured up here at this time. One house at the end of the road. A doctor owned it. He had bought it. It was the, the donor's, donor's original house. He became part of Calvary Commission, went all over the world. And so we just merged together. Speaking of some of those that you ministered to in prison and when they got out, I remember one time we were walking the streets of the highest crime district of Houston at the time, and we were standing outside of this nightclub. There was a young man that was inside there, and he was in there partying, but he was under such conviction, he felt like the Holy Spirit said, get up and get out now. When he walked out, the first people he walked into was some of my folks and myself, and we were passing out tracks and talking to people, and he fell under deep conviction. We'll come to find out he had actually been a part of Calvary Commission and had backslidden. Wow. But, and I like what Michael Brown say, how do you backslide if you didn't front slide or something? Like yeah, that? That's right. <laughs> you know, once the seed of God's words in us, he's not going to let up on us. And here he was, and he'd been blessed coming out of prison, being at Calvary Commission. And then here he was falling and succumbing to the temptations here in Houston. And yet at that exact providential moment where the Holy Spirit was dealing with him, to get out of that nightclub, to walk outside, to run into a bunch of Christians and, and happen to be the people that knew who you were and knew Calvary Commission. And, and good news is today, he's still in church doing well and, and serving right. the Lord. Yeah, God is able to pick people back up. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I know I've learned from David Wilkerson and, and from you that, you know, a lot of people give up. They say, well, what good does it do? You, you, you plant these seeds or you help someone and they go out and, and they leave. I've learned from both of you and from others that, and of course, applied it in my own life over the years as I was taking people off the streets and th- those that were troubled. 
that it, the seeds are planted and it may not come to fruition right then, but uh, ultimately the Lord will continue to work on them. Every seed planted, every seed watered will continue to work on them in the fullness of time. If it's one, two, three, five, six, seven times, the Lord will continue to reach out to them. And, and I believe that many, the seeds of God's word never comes back void and we will see the fruit of the sacrifice and labors of love of, of ministries like Calvary Commission. I continue to see that same story. We have a man here in Lindale who now has an air conditioning business, very successful, about five or 10 trucks out. And I asked him, now, where did you find out about us? He said, I don't really know, but let me think about it. He told me who it was, and it was someone, kind of like you said, that had gone back to prison and told him. And so, so that's the Andrew principle. Andrew told Peter. And look what happened on the day of Pentecost. We see those things happen. And yet we are so glad that so many do not return, that we've got business people, we've got medical people, we've got pastors, we've got missionaries out there that were once through here and we're planning on having more. We're building a new facility that'll hold 100 students in wow. class. We're believing for more. I feel this. I feel that we'll never leave it being a prison ministry. We're proud of it. But here's what I found out. There's people out there. The message that has changed these lives needs to go in these other lives. And there's people in churches, there's graduates out of high school, college that need that same discipleship. And we're ready to receive them here. They don't have to be from prison. And amazingly, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because Calvary Commission, though, you still continue to minister in prisons and those coming out. You've had a huge impact in the justice system here in Texas. But at the same time, you've actually pioneered missions bases, orphanages. You've pioneered a Bible school that's actually recognized by the state. And now your auditorium can seat, what, a couple hundred or more people in the auditorium? Yes. And so we've seen the expansion, as David Wilkerson told you those years ago in 77, to start small, don't move too fast, but look at the impact and the imprint that you have all over the world now. I mean, you've literally in Europe, Mexico, throughout Texas, other parts of the country, the expansion of the ministry has just continued to grow and people's lives are being impacted, but they're all interconnected at some level in the discipleship process. Speaking of that, you were friends with Keith Green, of course, and as we're, we're actually taping this podcast today on the 40th anniversary of the tragic day in which the plane went down and Keith Green and two of his children, Bethany and Josiah, died with him. At the same time, you continue to stay relatable. You, I think you're on the board of Last Days Ministries, yes. Melody Green, the widow of Keith Green. This week, I've been thinking about this because of the impact of all of those ministries and even the music of Keith Green that continues to deeply impact my life and really the message that came with that that still is a part of my life. And so this day we're taping this, I thought was very significant because you were very close to Keith and Melody and still are with Melody and with Last Days Ministries. But there was a lot of connections there. The gathering, the 40-year anniversary of the home going of Keith Green and Bethany and Josiah Green will be July 30th in Lindell at Twin Oaks at the YWAM base. How did that come about? I mean, I know we've all been processing about the 40 years, and then you just had your 45-year anniversary of Calvary Commission. In conversations with you and Melody, how did it come out? What's happening? I think you were telling me that there is a memorial that's set up at the gravesite, and people are going by, and they're leaving notes and so on. 
Yes, actually, I was there today on the 28th. We uh, have seen a beautiful bench that is there, a place of prayer, because Melody kept hearing about people that said, I went by the grave, I left a note, I prayed. So she said, I forgot to do something like that. And so it was very special. Across there is the part of the song, Something Beautiful. We were there together, part of our family. We had prayer there, but it just started a couple of years ago. She said, I want to do something if possible. Mm. And health reasons and all, but we ended up today to being able to do that. Mm. And it's going to be great on this. And and by the way, it's it's live stream, but there's going to be abilities to re-see it. Other venues that'll be possible because we believe that this will go for it. In fact, my vision and our vision for this is that Keith's message will be revived, especially among this new generation, mm. this next generation, that they will be hearing that because his message was get really saved, get born again, and find your place in ministry and missions. That calling is not so prevalent today, not so aware today as it once was. But we're going to believe that not just the original live that we do, but all of the residual effect of that, the exponential gain of that will be great throughout the world because it'll be available. I found that I've met some people in this new generation that begin to be introduced to Keith Green's music. Some of them had no clue that he was not here with us, that the legacy came through his music and his message. And that message really was the no compromise message, but also to live without apathy. Don't live in mediocrity, but to really find your purpose in the Lord and realize that God has a greater purpose and mission for our lives. You know, it was actually at Calvary Commission that Leonard Ravenhill had agreed to meet with about 20-something of my team, and you graciously let us use Calvary Commission, and we met with uh, Leonard Ravenhill there. And I was sitting there, and I remember someone came into the meeting and, and at the, one of the houses you let us use, and he said, I don't mean to, to, to interrupt your meeting, but can I be a fly on the wall? I've been a missionary in Argentina, and I, I'd like to hear Brother Ravenhill. I said, well, sure, of course. Well, it turned out it was Steve Hill, the evangelist. So that's how Steve and I really got acquainted, of course, long before before the Pensacola revival. And similarly, you know, it was uh, Michael, Dr. Michael Brown and Steve Hill told me that at one time Leonard Ravenhill told them to read my book, Who Will Cross the Jordan at the time. Now it's called It's Time to Cross the Jordan, which I always joke that I think I I was not an author. I wasn't a great writer, but I just wrote, you know, and uh, in fact, it was in one of the Calvary Commission men's Bible studies that someone had a copy of my pre-published version of that book at Calvary Commission, and Brother Ravenhill perused it and says, who knows this person? And that's how I was introduced to Leonard Ravenhill. So it's amazing how the kingdom is so interconnected. It is. It really is. Then the other is, after Keith Green and Bethany Josiah, their, their children, passed 40 years ago on July 28th. You, later, you started an orphanage in Reynosa, Mexico, and that was a very defining moment for a lot of people. We sent on short-term missions to serve there. In fact, somebody that I had uh, had the privilege of leading to the Lord ended up on staff there for quite a few years. How did that come about when the Lord put it on your heart to establish in their name, Bethany and Josiah, the Children's Center in Reynosa? Melody came to me and she said, we're receiving some funds dedicated to the memory of Josiah and Bethany. She said, if you ever wanted to do something for children, I want you all to do it. My problem was that the scripture said, if, 
if you start something and can't finish it, well, the people will come by and say, look at that. He, he couldn't finish that tower. So I said, well, I don't know if we can do that yet. As faith came and it got enlarged, well, we bought a property and broke ground. And then it was one peso at a time, one brick at a time, one window at a time. And we ended up with a four-story building now. there, I was just there. I, I got back this past Monday. Powerful testimony. In fact, we had a quinceanera. And that was uh, for some of the children that came as infants or thereby close by and are now at 15 years of age, the girls. And uh, they were so blessed. I was able to pray over them and, and be there. Uh, speaking of that, uh, it's not that easy anymore to get people to come. I don't know why, but I think God's going to change that. Mm-hmm. They told me if we could just have someone that could come for three months and be or longer, like a three-month test to see if you could do transportation, carry our children to school, and some maintenance around the place, it would be so good. We're open to receiving some people that would come in out retired or whatever. Well, we need to be praying for that because yes, you're do. right. We live in a generation that seems to have their concept of faith is different. Their faith to believe for a bigger this, a bigger that, more of this, or give me the salary to be able to do this. But we grew up in a time where faith meant if God was calling us, then he was like the Hudson Taylor, you know, what God calls to, he will provide for. And it takes that step of faith, that one step that turns into another step, into another step. And so we need to really be praying for a new generation of young men and women and older men and women who will say, you know what, I want to serve for a period of time in a capacity that doesn't give me direct results as far as financial remuneration, but more of a a kingdom building opportunity that God will always return to us, uh, you know, multiplied beyond what the seeds we've sown. So I'm going to agree with you for that, because I know for me, to this day, we have missionaries that came out of our ministry, Somebody Cares and Turning Point Ministries International. They're all over the world, but their first introduction, because their idea of ministry was, you know, having something grandiose. And I said, well, why don't you go on a short-term trip to Bethany or Josiah Children's Center that Calvary Commission has in Reynosa, and we'd send them out on short-term missions, and it totally changed their perspective and some now are serving full-time in Asia, some throughout Africa, around different places because of that experience. You know, we used to hear, well, instead of doing short-term missions, send your money. I said, you know, I really believe both are important because it takes short-term missionaries who will go and one will get a touch of the Holy Spirit to become long-term missionaries, or they'll at least be the voice firsthand to go back and encourage others to get behind those ministries and missionaries. So it's not one or the other. It's I think it works together, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Definitely. I was on that short-term mission when I received the call. And it was something that I was able to get moved with compassion and then do something about it. And it was not what I originally asked to do, but it was what God wanted me to do so that I could have that experience routine challenge. Powerful times. Well, even the name Calvary Commission, you know, the ministry that you founded after being with David Wilkerson at Teen Challenge there and, and serving with him, and of course, still partnering with the World Challenge and others these all these years later. But really, when you think about Calvary Commission, you're thinking about also a place of the crucifixion of Christ, but also the commission of Christ. 
Yes. It's not just a good term. It really is representation of what Christ has done. He also commissions us to do something with. Yes. And commission is a group of people with a definite uh, assignment that can find that solution. And that's what we have seen happen. And uh, people coming out of prison, people that weren't in prison, but God changes lives. And that there's power in a changed life. Mm-hmm. We just had a team go across the country. They're coming back today. And they were in uh, eight, eight churches, six states. They were just going to serve, just walking in, saying, Pastor, what can we do in the community? And uh, by serving. But it was those changed lives that people saw that make the difference. And other people want to be like them. And that's how you draw new people in is through relationships. You have the prison ministry and a place for men to come out when they come out of prison. And women. And women, and you have the Bible school. Calvary Bible Institute. Mm-hmm. And then you also have all over the world, you have missionaries and missions bases. What are some of the mission bases you have aside from Bethany Josiah Children's Center? You have other mission bases around the world as well. Well, I think our next one was Belize, and we are still there. Our director there put together the Freedom House. He was able to begin receiving people. I think he has about 15 men living there now at the Freedom House. And then Peru, we have two different areas in Peru that are there. We did lots of ministry in Romania. Now Romania has refugees there, a little different. We have people in those areas. I've done some ministry in, in Africa as well. It's just the move, the calling, where can God send us? We have some people here now that are for missionaries in the Philippines, and they're going to go back with some of our people and be in the, the Philippines as well. Well, all this happening, even with Ukraine and that part of the world, Romania, your imprint of the gospel through Calvary Commission and your relationships in that whole region has been for decades, as long before this current crisis. Yes, yes. Brother in India that uh, came to me and I said, no, we can't, no, we're not ready to go to India. But God changed that changed that and gave him finally gave him some encouragement he has over 100 churches i think he has 2000 children in children's homes we uh, have seen that happen it's just the expansion of that and certainly desire to see people get into missions and just that great commission well i know that you're in preparation for all that's happening this weekend and and again thank you so much we're going to have to have you and melody green back together after the July 30th gathering there in uh, Lindale and at um, uh, Garden Valley and also at Twin Oaks on the 40-year anniversary of Keith Green's homegoing. But two things I'd like you to do for me is, would you share with us, because your story is told in one of your books called uh, Challenging the Impossible, because a lot of people, again, getting back to what faith really is, you were challenged with impossible things, this, this desire of your heart, but it was intangible. It was something that was there, but what was in the heart then became tangible to what you're doing around the world. Tell us a little about the story of Challenging the Impossible, your book, uh, other resources people can get a hold of. And then secondly, I want you to just share with me, because as we talked about earlier, a lot of people think that they have to compromise their biblical convictions and the truth of God's word to go do social justice, but there is a biblical social justice, caring for the poor, taking care of the widows and the orphan, taking care of those coming who've been imprisoned and coming out. The things you're doing is very real and tangible, 
but you've never compromised the substance of God's word and his character, nature, and his word. Could you cover a little bit of both of those? I'll be glad to. Actually, the book is on Kindle, on Amazon, throughout the prisons, throughout the, the states. We have it in Spanish, Desafiando lo Imposible. And uh, so it, it is available also. Uh, it is that story. Probably needs to be redone a little bit, but uh, we believe the message is still there, is that, that what seemed impossible, in fact, I was told it will not work. And I just looked at the guy, I said, it is working because I had already seen enough happen in people's lives that I knew that there was a group of prison inmates that had gotten saved in prison that had a desire to follow the Lord, that God had a stamp of calling on their lives. And we continue to see that. We see people that were the chaplain's uh, clerks coming to us. They are ready to serve the Lord with us. Concerning the message, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Used to in the prison, the guards called the inmates, Hey, you old thing. They can't do that anymore. But old things are passed away and all things become new. What happens is that people just say that, say a prayer, say, repeat after me, and that's going to happen. Look at a few verses in front of that. It says that the change would come about because of who you're serving, that we no longer serve ourselves, but we serve the one who died and rose again. And that self-serving is the sin. That selfishness, not just saying you can't have a bite, but living for yourself or living for God. And when you recognize that that is in your heart, only the love of God will change that. The love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit will change a person's life. It is to be a no compromise. I've had a few surgeries, like hip surgeries and infections and so on. So what I've learned a lot is that the fear of falling is because I know the results would be there. There would be fractures because of what I've been through. So I've walked carefully. That second book is called Challenging What's Your Step. It's because we recognize that if we have the fear of God that says he's a wonder, awesome God, but he's going to make some demands out of us as well. And so we can have that, that fear of God that would be there. I believe that that's what people need to find is that message that changes people's lives and that changes the heart. That we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died and rose again. One of the things that I find, it's one thing to start, it's another thing to finish and to finish well. Would you just pray for leaders, because you were a successful business leader, as well as the track record of 45 years with Calvary Commission and long before that with Teen Challenge, you have stayed the course. Would you just pray for the leaders and for others who are listening to the podcast that would be encouraged that they too, as they watch their step, as they walk that step of faith with the Lord and trust in God, that they too can finish well. Would you just pray for those who will be listening to the podcast? Lord Jesus, we do come before you right now. We recognize that people can have difficulties that cause discouragement. Lord, we pray that at that very moment, you will give them that scripture, that word, that freshness in their lives, that they would be refilled with your Holy Spirit, that they would be filled with the fire of God mm. that they once had, that where they started out, that they would continue and get up and 
Put someone around them that says, come on and walk with me. Come on and, and let's go together. Let's do this. You, you can get up. And a failure that has taken place that we know that there's repentance. They know that there's an ability for your forgiveness to be there. There's restoration that takes place that when a person truly repents that you're welcome, you're ready to have that, that forgiveness of their even as you say, confess your sins and, and you, you will, will see that salvation come. Lord, we ask you to give them the power to get that step back up and every place that their foot treads that you'll give it to them. For someone that has been thinking about a calling that's coming upon their lives, that they would realize that it's not just a notion, but it's something that you would desire in their lives and that you can give them the faith to believe that every step they take will be a step towards you and towards your manner of way. Help mm -hmm. them, Lord God, not to give up, but to get up. Not to give up, but to get up. Get up and with the power of the Holy Spirit to go again. There's a new day. There's a new day coming for you as you recognize that God's got a plan and he's got a planned future for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is there a website and other ways to get to know about Calvary Commission? Calvarycommission.org. We're there. You can Google Calvary Commission. It'll bring you to our front gate. Oh, good. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And again, uh, give my greetings and love to the family and to Charlotte. And thank you so much for the investment you've had in my life and continue to leave an impact in my life just through the very testament of what you do and who you are. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.